That's the world I want to live in, where I know if I come up to you, you're going to share your power with me in an empowering way. And I can then reciprocate that to you. Wouldn't that be the world you all would want to live in? <laughs> trauma is probably one of the most important topics that a lot of people in this country should be talking about so first off how are we how are we just on a personal note good yes okay yeah, good. Okay. Good, good good um so can you um go into a little bit linda about what brought this subject up for you i think the i think why i was beginning to think that trauma might be a useful subject for our show is um, well, Mary um, Trump talks a lot about it, how we have a trauma-based culture right now. It just is so. I mean, uh, we can go into a lot of why that is, but we also have just a lot going on in the world that makes us feel traumatized. And when we have things like uh, a storm hitting Florida where everybody has to migrate and we have the Ukraine war going on and so just so many things, we might be losing our democracy. So I think um, when personally we start to feel that trauma wound, we start to lash out, we start to feel victimized, and we start to feel hopeless, helpless. And that doesn't do any of us any good. So we want to talk about how to get out of that. But I, I see that trauma culture just everywhere I turn right now. And when I turn on the news, so I think that's what got me thinking that this was a pretty universal thing to talk about from a psychological point of view. Yeah. And so you definitely say it's, it's hindering our communication with one another because we're all responding to each other out of trauma. <laughs> Basically, we're all triggered all the time. Oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'll just give you one example. I, I talked with uh, uh, one of my family members today who's just, she's out of work, can't find work. So she feels victimized. So rather than taking responsibility, going out and trying to get a job, she lashes out. And that's, that's not an uncommon thing to do. So when people lash out, in a societal way, you know, what do you start to see? You start to see people on the street with clubs and guns and doesn't look good, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so today's conversation would be to learn about that so we can respond to each other with compassion instead of yes. responding with anger. How are you, Katie? And what, what are you excited to talk about uh, as far as trauma today? Yeah, I mean, as a psychotherapist, I am really in the, on the front lines. I'm seeing a lot of... Uh, dysregulation. And I think that trauma is a profoundly important topic. Everybody's feeling it at some level. And we use the word trauma pretty freely. I want to just say that trauma happens when the nervous system is overwhelmed and when the environment is not helpful to us. So we don't have a feeling of being protected. We don't have a sense of stability. We need uh, support. And so the speed of things is making this extremely difficult. Things are accelerating so fast. It's not like it was 20 years ago. And, you know, the personal connection in our lives is missing. We're always on the web. So we're missing that holding, that sense of support. So we're basically on guard and our bodies are guarded. We're tense. The people come into my practice, couples, they, they want to be together, but they don't ha even know what love is. They're, they're so walled off. They don't understand really what it is to be fully heard and seen. So I, I, I'll just leave it at that. But I, I want to add that I think we need to describe the trauma a little bit. We see, which is hate crimes are up 44%. So uh, we have a lot to cover today. 
I, in listening to you, I literally thought to myself, I don't, and I wanted to ask, can you even have a conversation about trauma with the definition that you went with that being your environment having a huge part to do with it? Can you have a conversation about trauma and not talk about American government and the history of politics in this country? So it's like, we'd be talking about this regardless because even down to the personal issues that people have in their households, what government has implemented up until now, what has happened within society due to government actions that people may not want to talk about, but are there are a part of that conversation. What happens at that high level still trickles down to us on a personal level. And so we'd be talking about it all. So you're absolutely right, Katie. David uh, Korn uh, just came out with a book September 13th called American Psychosis. <laughs> it's, it's a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy but the, th the thrust of the book, I think, is very relevant to what we're talking about, because I think there's an element in any society, just as there's an element in most of us that is a little bit off because of the trauma response, right? So his whole investigation showed not so much why or how the Republican Party is right now, but that it's always been that way. There's always been this element that just, you know, it keeps coming up to the surface once in a while normally we're able to kind of cover it over, which we do as human beings on the personal level too. But when things don't go well within the world, like Katie was saying, suddenly the margins start to become visible. And I really think in society, that's what we're seeing now. And unfortunately, when the margins become the government or could become the government, we all could be in trouble, you know? So he really was spot on in, in this, this book, American Psychosis. And I know Katie, you've been looking into psychosis a lot? Well, I mean, uh, psychosis is certainly the extreme example of trauma, which is, uh, you know, if an organism is stuck in survival mode, if we feel like we're focused on fighting off unseen enemies, which leaves no room for nurture or care, it's a dissociative state and it's a terror. Part of the cortex actually gets shut down. The amygdala speeds up. So we are overly emotional. It feels like a team of wild horses inside my body when I'm triggered. So that's what I tell my clients is you're trying to regulate something that is almost impossible is how it feels. So it's like a tidal wave. And I think trauma is the most pivotal topic here. You know, we are being constantly pummeled. Uh, we've got women's rights under threat. We have war happening everywhere. Pandemic just shut us all down. In my work, I was on the front lines with ICU nurses, and they needed therapy desperately during the pandemic. I wish I could tell you some of the stories I heard. You know, nearly two-thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I just want to name the problem here. When we talk about psychosis, we can't just blame one group of people that are flooded with hatred when we have to see the, the larger picture. 135 million people are considered poor or low income. One in four Black families have a net worth of zero. That's just, I mean, that's even just the drop in the bucket here. So my point on this is we are literally in a crisis. And in the meantime, we're living in a society that wants us to have a happy face. So of course we have psychosis. That's my, that's my nickel. <laughs> of course we have psychosis. Yeah. Well, there's another aspect here, I think, too, 
Katie, you'll probably relate to, which is I think when people get into that state, they'll believe anything. If they think the belief will get them out of that state. And so that's where people start to believe the big lie, right? The big lies about anything and everything. So, so when you do get to be in that very, very psychotic, traumatized state where you see no way out, you will follow anyone. That's where people start to look for a strong man to help them out of that state. I mean, look at Italy. All of a sudden now Italy, and I think even Sweden is moving towards fascism. So it's scary, but that's the state of our world right now. Biden just did a uh, conference on hunger. One in 10 people in this, hungry, in this country, in the US, go hungry day to day. They're food challenged. That's amazing for being one of the richest countries in the world today. And if we're, if we're having that kind of poverty here, can you imagine what's going on in the rest of the world? So we are in kind of a bad situation. And you know, and it, it's hard for us to climb out, but we can climb out. It, it's just doing the exact opposite of what a psychotic person would do. It's looking for ways that even though we may feel victimized, it's looking for something that we can do that's larger than ourselves. That's usually how people get out of the state. Uh, once we can name the problem, once we can actually say it's psychosis, it's trauma, it's the times when things are not going well, if we can name it, and if we can name the margin of society politically that is grasping for power. If we can name it, then we can start as a society to say, okay, we don't want that. <laughs> we understand that element within society because it's also within us. So how do we contain it in such a way that it doesn't take over and metastasize all of us? That's, that's what I'm hoping we can stop just by having this conversation, it's helpful because it's bringing something really hard to look at into consciousness. This conversation that we're having is not a new one. And people have been talking about trauma for a while, trauma and sickness. And with these problems come solutions. But what a lot of people, or maybe, uh, you know, some do, but are, are afraid to kind of bring it up is that sometimes the solutions that is presented by, you know, huge conglomerates are not really solutions. They're more like symptom easers to keep a cycle, um, which can be based in a lot of things, racism and classism, greed and, and money. But ultimately, the solutions that have been given to us to deal with the problems that are created by the same entity that's giving the solutions are not actual solutions. The things that they present to us to be solutions for the trauma responses that we are exuding are just keeping us in a cycle. And we're following it. Last uh, episode, you mentioned heroism. And I think that we look for that in people as well, which falls in line with that. And the people that are giving us that this dictatorship, this leadership, this heroism is keeping us in the cycle that benefits them. So what can we say differently to people that is actually going to help them and get them out of the cycle? And um, do you do you even feel or recognize that there are entities, their solutions are just keeping people in the cycle? And that is how they're designed to be. Well, that's where I think the fake news is doing us all a disservice. Um, people listen to it because again, it offers it offers simple solutions to very complex problems. And people who are not very educated, very well educated, might listen to it and believe it. I think the people who promote the fake news, however, know exactly what they're doing, <laughs> unfortunately, because they're the ones who are trying to keep control because they see their majority slipping away. They see their power slipping away. So I think what we can do, those of us who are not trapped in that sort of massive psychosis, what we can do is we can sit, like we're doing right now, we're naming it. 
let's get all hands on deck, vote as citizens. I recently uh, was listening to a series of interviews by uh, Dahlia Lithwick. She just came out with a book called Lady Justice. Most of the people in the book I'd never heard of, most of us haven't heard of them, but they're, they're mainly women and they're women who were lawyers and they took a chance at following through on a piece of legislation or the law and they were successful. Apparently there was a woman before Rosa Parks and her story was that she really fought for a better society. And she gave a lot of ideas to people like Rosa Parks. Um, and so there's a lot of people in this book who simply said, okay, I'm gonna take a little bite out of the craziness I see in the world and follow it through. And they're some of the real heroes. They didn't need it for their ego, but they did a, they did a service to society and got us out of a little bit of the craziness that we see ourselves right now in. You're right, Linda, to name the problem you know, you diagnose an illness before you cure it. So uh, naming it is really key here. And also um, we, you know, media, there's a lot of hero worship, as you mentioned, Shakira. And uh, I had a conversation two nights ago with the woman that really surprised me. She said in Brooklyn, New York, when their football team loses, the entire town shuts down in grief. They are mourning. And I was so struck by this thing called projection. So people are so identified with their football team that they that what is what brings up sorrow. They're not crying over these rape children. They're not crying over the refugees without homes. They are crying about their football team. So no offense to all you out there who love athletics, because I rather enjoyed Steve Kerr stepping up uh, this year and speaking against guns. God bless him. Uh, my garbage wasn't getting picked up outside, right? I'm on the web and then I'm doing voicemails and nobody's picking up the garbage for weeks. And finally, I persist. And this is a story of, of how, what can we do differently as heroes? And uh, I got a hold of uh, somebody and I, I got a phone call from the garbage man in this huge truck way up high above everything saying, I'm up here in the garage. I'm up here in the, trying to pick up your garbage. Which one is it? And I said, oh my God, a real human is calling me. And he's, we had the greatest chat. And he said, listen, anytime call me. And he gave me his name and his number. That is heroic. That is a guy doing his job and actually caring. Yeah, that's like a different kind of hero. I mean, that's a hero who doesn't need it for ego reasons, but a, someone who simply wants to help someone just for the greater good, for the cause of a better world. That's what we're talking about. If those kinds of heroes are what we want. But the kind that gets us into trouble is for us to feel victimized and then to be waiting for some, you know, candy coated person to make it all better that's that's not going to be helpful and i think in terms of climate change we've been doing that for too long we keep waiting for the government to lead the way when no one the government's completely captured they're not going to lead the way you know so where is al gore 
<laughs> when we need them. <laughs> so, and before you can get to a solution, yes, I agree. You do have to diagnose something. Can you all kind of go through like what you see throughout society that clearly screams trauma response? Like what can people see in front of them that they can immediately recognize? Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, we see it with the ongoing focus on Trumpian politics. It seems like Revenge, revenge, you know, how can we duke it out and make all the people who aren't white and male wrong? How can we take our inner neediness out on them? I mean, that's an obvious one right there. Katie, you probably see a lot of, lot of it in your practice. Well, I mean, I think I was gonna kind of make a joke and say it's everywhere. <laughs> you know, all you have to do is just go out your front door or pick up the phone or get on your emails. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I see in my work uh, with couples and families and individuals is uh, that none of us have learned how to be in relationship. None of us. I'm so moved by these people that come in and sometimes look like, oh my God, I don't think this is, I don't know how I can help these people. So I think uh, the trauma is in all of our bodies. And it, it, I think it's why Vanderkock's book, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, is so hopeful because it's been published now in 36 languages. And as of July of 2021, the book has spent more than 141 weeks on the bestseller list. That is about, that is a book among others, and Gabar Mate has one out, and Linda, you've mentioned a couple too. Um, there are many books coming out now on this, and it's because um, we, we need a way to uh, work with fear because it's actually at the root. If you wanna name the problem, we can talk about the systems. There are many problems, but there is also fear. How are we gonna calm the nervous system of our people? Another aspect to the problem, I think uh, our culture is rooted in individualism. And unfortunately that then goes back to narcissism, which is sort of the shadow side of individualism. And when we have uh, parents bringing up their children who tend to have narcissistic qualities, Unfortunately, the children are not getting their needs met. So then they grow up doing the same thing. It's, you know, it's a transmission of trauma. It's that response. We all, we just keep handing it down to future generations. So that goes back to what we were saying before about communication. If you're communicating within an individualistic culture, then you really don't understand how to be vulnerable with each other. You don't understand that it's actually our vulnerability that helps us connect with each other because it's in that shared pain, it's in that shared understanding of what we all go through as human beings that unfolds a different path for all of us. Because when we start to reconnect with the world, with each other, then we start to see hope, we start to see a path forward. It's when we cut that off because we're so traumatized and we feel so hopeless and helpless inside and we kind of take our bridges up and we close ourselves off to the world, that things get worse and worse and worse. And that's when we start to believe the strong man will save us, or we believe the fake news we're hearing, the big lie. So it's, it's about slowly unfolding ourselves, feeling our grief, our pain about the world. It's not a great world right now, but when we can express it with each other, we start to see the humanness in each other. And it, you know, it just makes things a lot easier. That, that's 
that's the path of changing our culture. And that's really what I, you know, in my, my work with dialogue, I'm trying to get across. How do we get over that fear of being vulnerable? Amanda Gorman, the uh, African-American young poet said uh, recently, I still am terrified every day. Yet fear can be love trying to do its best in the dark. So do not fear your fear. Own it. Free it. This isn't a liberation that I or anyone can give you. It's a power you must look for. Learn love. Lead and locate for yourself. So my first answer is there's no simple answer except taking the next step and trial and error, find safe people. We need safe conversations. Try to take a step and test the waters with a teacher or a minister or a counselor or a friend or a partner, and then help, help train them. If they don't respond in a respectful way, let them know your wishes. It's finding the safe space to be yourself, to be authentic. We all need to be authentic, but you're right. Uh, you can't, Shakira, you can't just be vulnerable with anyone because that's what bullies are looking for. And then you'll just get kicked again. Um, so it's, it's taking, if you think you're in a safe enough relationship, what I always tell people, and this was a big learning for me personally, take a little bit of a risk, just a little bit of a risk and be vulnerable, share something authentic. And as long as that person doesn't give you the bully response, then take another risk and see if they then meet you in taking their own risk. And then you know you've got a solid connection. So it's taking little small risks, one person at a time or one group at a time and seeing how it goes. I, I would also like to say for our listeners, let that be our like societal cue to then start being that safe space. Like we mentioned in the first episode that it's, Literally, we have to start being that and hopefully it will then, you know, begin to trickle down, especially if we're in a setting where there's multiple people, it could only take one person coming to a situation with vulnerability and boom, you now have that environment. Um, more than likely, because it's on a personal level, it will have a massive societal change, but it's more than likely going to happen on a person to person basis. I'm sure you can agree, Katie, because you're interacting with the people to people every day. I believe that one of the things we really need is more safe places and uh, more mental health help for people. Uh, and there are so many systems that need uh, cooperation and collaboration in order to empower themselves. And I think that the comment about fear was profound just now, uh, Shakira, and uh, what Linda, what you said, uh, that taking the next step it cannot be overstated that when you're scared, you freeze up and you want to withdraw. And Seligman, Martin Seligman's research, even with dogs, you know, if one has been mistreated, then you can open the cage to let it out and it will not come out because that fear is in the body. So what shifts that is some physical next step calling somebody, taking a walk, having a good cry with a safe person so you can unlock. And we need to be seen and we need to feel heard. You know, this whole thing about psychosis we started with, people feel like they're losing face. So they, they fight. It's a fight or flight response. 
we all need to be seen. We need more infrastructure so we can have important conversations. There's a great group out here called Men Evolving Nonviolently. And when I interviewed the man who is now retired, who ran it, I just thought it was going to be an intellectual discussion. And it just blew my mind listening to him. He was the most vulnerable human being I have ever, ever talked to. But uh, he talked about the men, how when they start showing each other what it's like to be having excruciating vulnerability, to really open up, to talk about their fear and their shame, these men became very kind people. You brought to mind uh, a group that I just became aware of. It's a group up in Canada and they're putting together what they hope will be a network. It's called the Lifeboat Project. And it's where if you want to make a difference in your local community because you see things that you don't like and you'd like to change the culture around you, invite people who you know, who you trust, have them come to your house and start talking about some of the ways, not all of the ways, none of us are going to change the world completely on our own or change climate change, God forbid, but, but between you, you can all see where's the sweet spot between you that you, you actually could take some action together and make a difference. And he's hoping to then interconnect these lifeboat groups so that, you know, we become fractalized. And that's a way to start to change the whole culture. When I think about um, coming up with solutions or brainstorming solutions to an issue, you, of course, identify the problem, you identify solutions. Um, but a lot of good practices I've seen people do is then afterwards envision like, let's say we actually solve this issue, what then do our circumstances look like? And so we know what solving traumas and triggers looks like on an individual basis. But once this trickles down from citizen to citizen, and we start looking at it from like a mass societal uh, perspective, even down to like how, how government is run, specifically legislation, what does that look like? What is democracy and legislation and, and just a cohesive society look like? Well, I think it's where people feel they actually have a voice. You know, and and, uh, people are listening to their voice. They have an outlet for their voice right now, other than maybe voting once every other year and not even uh, uh, trusting that our votes will be counted. So I would say if we really turn things around, we would start to hold each individual voice as important and and acknowledge that voice. I think that's really beautiful, Linda. And I, I think that we need to tell our stories. We, we have to be personal as well as political. And that kind of circles back to, I mean, I think it's a brilliant question, Shakira, the, um, what, how, what would it look like? We, we do need to reimagine. And uh, it would look like um, safe infrastructures for people to have difficult dialogues. And that infrastructure, which is sort of like what we're doing here today, has to be held carefully. We can uh, find a lot of great solutions to some of the hard problems if we work together like ants. You know, ants Mm -hmm. do better than people, right? A lot of uh, non-human species do better. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then also, I think when we have controversies around certain laws, I look at like the basis of the law that we're talking about. Abortion is usually like the first thing that people think of because it's it's such a extreme topic to be talking about, but really like to have any type of like restriction on something like that in my head, 
comes out of a sense of a trauma response. If we are, we're afraid of certain things happening, and so we're going to abolish a certain action because we are afraid of the of the results of the opposite, right? And so if we're on an individual basis healed from these things, we might not even have conversations about that type of legislation. It might not be up for question, you know what I mean? Because we're, we're, we're healed from, from certain fears and we don't have to question whether or not someone should be able to make a choice with, with their body. Is that, or am I simplifying like a really complex issue? No, you're, you're right on. And I'm hoping that we'll talk about women in power in one of these podcasts soon, because I think that is another part of the problem of our world is we women need to feel like we have our power. You know, for people out there, uh, it's taking those little steps and don't give up because it gets pretty tough sometimes. There's despair that can overtake us. That's what trauma is. It's a kind of a overwhelming feeling of despair. And I was just so amazed by, it was on 60 Minutes, the uh, 12 foot tall doll puppet. Her name is Little Amal, A-M-A-L. She's a walking puppet that's a 10-year-old Syrian refugee that is walking all through the United States so that people are actually seeing this image. It's through art. It's through art that people are getting a palpable sense of what a a small child goes through when they lose their home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think of Oprah Winfrey or Maya Angelou or Nelson Mandela or Abe Lincoln, or I'm going to also mention this woman from the Evaldi shooting, who was the only one out of all the people lost in victimhood. All those people waiting for the police to rescue their kids who were shot. And they stood there along with the police, frozen, probably traumatized and scared. And one woman, Angeli Gomez, ran in and got her kids out. What made that possible? That's what we have to access in ourselves, that kind of courage. You know, power can go one of two ways. It can go towards controlling others, which is kind of the shadow side of power. And we've all been victimized by that. And that's what we're scared of, right? We don't want to be vulnerable because we're afraid that people who have that kind of negative shadow-based power can re-traumatize us. But there's another kind of power that I think you're getting at, Katie, and that, that what, what you're asking, Shakir, if we could wave our magic wand into the future and have a society that works for all, it's shared power. It's where we, we empower other people because we feel empowered. That's the world I want to live in, where I know if I come up to you, you're going to share your power with me in an empowering way, and I can then reciprocate that to you. Wouldn't that be the world you all would want to live in? <laughs> I do want to add in that um, there will be many conversations on the subject of trauma alone. Um, for people that are listening, because I'm, I'm pretty sure even an hour, right, this podcast could probably be three hours long, and we still would not cover an inch of the suitcase that has to be unpacked, <laughs> the suitcase that is trauma that has to be unpacked, along with the, the sub-subjects that are under it, like that does go into women and empowerment and patriarchy in itself, right, the basis of it and, and where it comes from and how to get, you know what I'm saying? So we'll, we'll have many conversations. There's much more that we plan on diving into. There's a wonderful writer, his name is Barry Lopez. Something he, he talks about is 
the old ideas, the crushing immorality of maintaining old systems, the life-destroying belief that to care for others is to be weak and that to be generous is to be foolish can have no future with us. So if you're that, that person out there giving service like my garbage man or you're doing what we're doing here on this podcast, give it 110%. The world depends on us. Mm-hmm.